Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And it's our book club today. Yeah, it is our book club. I'm so excited to talk about The Vanishing Half. Yeah. So before we get into the book club, should we do some quick highs and lows? Yeah. What was your high this week? I don't know. I'm having a medium to low week. And I feel like I had (laughs) three highs the past two weeks. And I'm like, oh, I should have rationed those. Um, Nothing bad is happening. I don't know. I was trying to write my notes for this. And I was like, maybe on Saturday, we had a night out with our friend Raina from the Girls Gotta Eat podcast. And we got outdoor drinks. And that was really fun to hang out with somebody who isn't hasn't been in my immediate quarantine circle get to see somebody new in a safe way. Yeah. Um but no, I don't really have a high. What's yeah. yours? Mine is also a tepid high, I would say. It's Alex came over our other um sorority house member came over on Sunday and we did crafts. Um we made these fun rainbow enamel necklaces and she bought me bonbon, which is my favorite candy. Um, oh yum. They are Bonbon is this great candy store in the East Village. Alex dated the owner like a while ago and because of that became friends with him. And now she was like riding her Vespa by and saw that they were open and she texted me. She's like, should I get candy? And I was like, yes. Like, and she was like, that is always the right answer. Important question. Mm -hmm. Is there any candy left? No. I want a piece of candy. Um, it's the but the best thing that they make is these skulls that are um sour strawberry. They're so good. They are really good. Yeah. It's long gone. It's been gone for like four days. What about yeah. on the low side? I'm just still in a funk. I have not felt like myself in like well over a month now. I will say the weather this week has not been great. Last night we had like apocalyptic thunderstorms. Um and on top of that, it's like my plants aren't doing well because of it. Like they're Uh-oh. turning yellow, like because they're le- they're overwatered, be- and like short of bringing them inside, which I'm not going to do because bugs. Um, I don't know what to do because like one of my tomato plants is like basically all yellow, and then the other my sunflowers are are all yellow too because they've had way too much water because it, all it does is rain. Did you stop watering them outside of rain? Yeah, because. Well, there was one that was somehow really dry, so I watered that. I checked their water every morning and, like, every afternoon. Like, yeah, so that – and then I just feel like – I'm truly afraid of the emotional backlash that will happen if one of your outdoor plants dies. Well, one of my indoor plants died. My dill dill died in the Arrow Garden. It just wilted and is brown. And I don't know whether I should take it out and put a different pot in there or what to do. I don't know. I'm yeah. not an arrow garden expert. I Googled it and I still don't have a firm answer. And then I also feel like because of the weather, our social plans are just like in limbo. Like I had a fun dinner plan tonight, but everything's outside, obviously. So that got canceled. And then I don't know. I just I miss my family. Um, my sisters and I were going to plan a trip. We were going to rent a lake house in September for a week, a long weekend. And <laughs> the house that we wanted they finally got back to us and it was all, it's already rented. So we can't like we can't find anywhere to go. Um, yeah, I looked at houses a couple of weeks ago for us to take a long weekend outside of the city and there's nothing. There's nothing. And we were going to go up by um where is my sister moving to? 
Um, my youngest sister, Meredith, not Becca. Becca lives in Brooklyn. Where is Meredith moving? Um, Ithaca. Cornell. Yeah, Ithaca. So we were going to go up by that, which is like a solid four hours away. So even further than you and I were looking to go. And like, no, there's like nothing. Ugh. And like, I just like miss my parents, miss my sisters. I do get to see Becca and Zoe. They're coming over again this weekend, which will okay. be great. But I'm just over it. I'm just over all of it. I want the weather to stop being so bad. I want I want our lives back. I want to be able to travel again. I'm feeling cranky. <laughs> I don't know how to help you. Yeah. I mean, it just is what it is. I think that with COVID, all of this goes up and down. And I've said before, like, there are weeks where I'm like, I don't mind quarantine. This isn't bad. And then there are weeks where I'm like, I'm fucking miserable. And this is a month of just, I'm miserable. Like last night was so bad. It was raining so badly. My air conditioner started leaking. Like there was like a gush of water that came through onto the floor in the living room. Um, And I just like put some towels down and put the blanket over my head and read a whole book. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which we'll talk about when we talk about books. But I'm over it, man. I'm sorry. It's fine. We shouldn't have a low because then I just end up ranting for like a year, which I just did. <laughs> um, my low is also that I'm I'm feeling irritable. I think there are two causes. First cause, and I don't know if you've noticed this, my internet is so bad. It's so bad. That was I meant to put that um in my notes. It's so bad. It stops every minute, and it also makes my music stop and everything. So I feel like at I, I feel like kind of right at 9.30 in the morning, it all of a sudden gets slow. And I assume it's because everyone is logging on for their 9 to 5 job and is yeah. like on the internet. And they're all on home networks that aren't made for this much volume. Oh, interesting. I don't know so, what it is. I thought it was maybe the weather was impacting it. Oh, I don't know. I've been noticing it throughout quarantine. But <laughs> this week in particular, it's been really bad. And it just it makes doing any work thing so much harder Mm -hmm. because then I'm fighting with the internet and I feel like I reset my internet like four times a day. Same. So I'm annoyed by that because every work project feels harder because of the bad internet. Mm -hmm. And then also the weather, but mine is different than yours. My complaint is that it's been so hot. It's been, we've been having a heat wave and it's been in like the low to mid 90s every day. And so it's so hot even when I first wake up that I can't really go for a walk unless I'm like, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to sweat through my shirt. Like, it's going to be a thing, which I'm not a lizard person as much as you. Just put on workout clothes and just just know that you're going to get sweaty. But I don't enjoy that as much. Okay. I like it. Yeah. So I don't enjoy that. So I just make sure I wear something that can get sweaty. Yeah. So I feel like I haven't been walking and because it's been so hot, I just feel somewhat trapped within the four walls of my apartment. Yeah. Um, because I'm not getting out as much. Yeah. So I've also been feeling irritable this week. Yeah. So that's me. But we have a great book to talk about. We do. So as always, before we get into the book, let's give a quick plot summary so that anyone who is listening but didn't read the book or anyone who needs a refresher is up to speed with us. Yes. So we read The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which just came out in June. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the book opens with Desiree Veen's arriving back in her hometown of Mallard, Louisiana. 
So Desiree and her twin sister Stella disappeared 14 years earlier when they were 16 years old. At first, the townspeople searched for them thinking that they'd been taken, but then they turned up in New Orleans and people assumed that they would come back home on their own. But they didn't. So Desiree causes a stir when she shows up in 1968 without any warning, bringing with her a child who is much who has much darker skin than her own. So Mallard was founded in 1848 by a light-skinned freed slave who was too dark to fit in with white people, but didn't want to associate with black people. Instead, he founded the town as a third place. Over time, his descendants' skin got lighter and lighter, and by the time his great-great-great-granddaughters Desiree and Stella were born, they are described as having the skin the color of sand with hazel eyes and wavy hair. So as kids, Stella was the smart one and Desiree was the dreamer. So on the last day of 10th grade, their mom, Adele, told them that they wouldn't be going back to school. The twins needed to work to help to pay the bills. So after a summer of cleaning houses for a white family, the twins disappeared to New Orleans. So the the twin sisters moved to New Orleans and Stella ends up disappearing and abandoning Desiree. So we're going to talk about that more later. But after two years, Desiree decides that she didn't want to live in the city where her sister had abandoned her. So she takes a job working for the FBI as a fingerprint analyst and moves to D.C. There, she met and married Sam, who is a lawyer that she had worked with. Sam is a dark-skinned black man from Cleveland, and while their relationship is wonderful at first, it turns really abusive. So eventually, she leaves him after he beats her and takes the train back to her hometown with her daughter. So her husband, Sam, hires a bounty hunter to track down Desiree. And the bounty hunter's name is Early, and he's a drifter. He kind of never stays in one place for too long. And when his boss gives him Desiree's case, he asks him if he has ever been to Mallard. And Early had as a child, and he didn't remember much except for the fact that he had a huge crush on a girl there. And when his boss gives him the photo of the woman he's tracking down, he realizes that they're the same person. So Early goes to Mallard to find Desiree, but he doesn't turn her in. Instead, he offers to take her to New Orleans and help her to find her sister. But even he, a professional bounty hunter, can't find Stella. So then the timeline shifts. Jude, Desiree's daughter, is leaving Mallard and heading to UCLA on a track scholarship. Desiree had stayed in Mallard the past 10 years, living together with Early whenever he passed through. Jude hated Mallard. She was judged for being dark and never fit in except for when she was running. At a Halloween party her freshman year, she meets Reese. Reese is a fellow Southerner from Arkansas, and she begins seeing Reese more and more. And after hanging out for a few times, he tells her that before he came to L.A., he was Therese, um, and he is transgender. At first, their relationship is platonic, but eventually it turns romantic. So Jude gets a catering job to help Reese pay for top surgery. So at a catering gig in Hollywood, she's shocked when the wife of the rich white client turns out to be Stella. Back in New Orleans, Stella had taken a job as a secretary passing for white because they wouldn't allow black secretaries. There, she met her husband, Blake, who was her boss, and she moved with him back to Boston and then to L.A., and they had a daughter together named Kennedy, and the entire time she was passing as white, and her family doesn't know her secret. 
So the same night that Desiree returned to Mallard, Stella was at a homeowners association meeting for her private community in L.A. A black family was trying to move into the neighborhood, and she was outspokenly against this. Since she had left her old life, she'd studiously avoided other black people, afraid that they would see her and recognize her as black. Despite her protests, the family moves in. There's Reg, a famous actor, and his wife, Loretta. Despite the chilly beginning, Stella and Loretta become friends. Their daughters are the same age, and they play together. So a few years later, Jude is studying to get into med school, and one of her friends is in a local play, and she goes to see it, and the lead actress in the play is Kennedy, Stella's daughter, who she'd met at the party years before and recognizes. So Kennedy doesn't know who Jude is. Jude gets a job at the theater and inserts herself into Kennedy's life, trying to learn anything she can about Stella. Eventually, on the closing night of the play, Stella comes to see her daughter and Jude confronts her. Stella wants nothing to do with her and denies that she's who Jude says she is. And later that night at the cast party, Kennedy and Jude get into a big fight and Jude snaps at her and tells her about her mother's secret. So Kennedy confronts her mother, but Stella denies it. Later, Kennedy runs into Jude in New York City. She and Reese are there for his surgery. Jude shows her a photo of Stella and Desiree as girls. Kennedy confronts her mother with the photo and doesn't speak to her for two years. Stella then goes home to Mallard to see Desiree and tells her to call off Jude. She stays there one night and sneaks out the next morning. Despite the years without speaking, there is still an ease between the two sisters. The book ends with Adele's death. Jude and Desiree bury her, and Stella and Kennedy do not come. So that is the book, and we're going to talk about it. But before we do, we want to take a quick break to tell you about one of our favorite new podcasts, Everything is Fine. The show is hosted by Lucky Magazine founding editor Kim France and podcaster Tally Abacassis and discusses life after 40. So even though we're not quite 40 yet, we've been loving this podcast. It takes an honest look at what the hosts claim is both the very best and the very worst time of their life. They approach topics with humor and insight and dig into the identity shift that comes with navigating what can be an alternately weird and liberating stage of life. They also have some amazing guests from the media and entertainment world to discuss topics like fashion over 40, beauty tips, and more serious topics like addiction and menopause. I recently listened to an episode with Samantha Irby that had me legitimately laughing out loud, and I also loved the episode that they did with beauty expert Jean Godfrey June. Oh, I love Jean. This podcast is such a good listen. It's empathetic, it's insightful, and most of all, it's entertaining. So we highly recommend you check it out. And you can subscribe to Everything is Fine wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so this book. So before we dive in to talking about the relationships and the meat of this book, I want to know your high-level thoughts. What did you think? I loved it. I thought it was so interesting. I loved the sister dynamic. I loved I liked the ending despite it being sad and really disappointing. I felt like I had I kind of appreciate that it wasn't all wrapped up at the end with a bow and was very realistic. I thought that the look at race and colorism and the fact that Stella could just abandon her entire identity and then deny her sister was so terrible, but it was obviously like a really interesting storyline. Um, and I loved that it followed them for so long. I like those types of books where it follows a family from like, like I think it was the 50s through the 90s that this was set in. 
So I really liked that. Okay. What about you? I liked it. I did not love it as much as you did. Yeah, I see. I loved it. But yeah, and I feel like you were just like, mm, this was pretty good. I, it's not that. I think it was a B plus for me. Okay. So it's good. Yeah. It just, I think there were two things that happened. So the first is that you read this book right when it came out. I read this book last week. It's really hard when there's so much hype around something and everyone's saying that it's going to be like the best book you read all year. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it was a victim of hype for me where it had been I'd been told by so many people how excellent it was, many of whom are our listeners, and I went into it with such high expectations that I felt slightly disappointed. I did still like it. I, I want anything negative I say like comes with the caveat that I'm saying I liked it less than you, but I didn't dislike it. Okay. And then the other thing is that for me, I liked the first half of the book way more than I liked the second half of the book. So I really liked the story about Desiree and about Stella and them disappearing and what happened to them and um, kind of the mystery of where did Stella go and her passing for White. I felt like the timeline sped up like halfway through the book and it felt a little choppy to me where I would have happily read a hundred more pages that like went into more detail about their daughters, but I didn't feel the same intrigue in the daughter stories as I did in the mother stories. Oh, interesting. See, I felt just as invested in the daughters as I did to the mothers. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the book. Let's get into our thoughts. Yeah. So starting out with the name of the book, and um, I thought this was particularly interesting because there was two things. The, like in, in the word vanishing, it was like she, Stella, vanished from her identity, but also you could look at vanishing as becoming more white. Oh, I didn't think of it like that. I was really thinking of it, not necessarily her vanishing in terms of her just like leaving without a trace, but her vanishing from her joint identity and relationship with Desiree as twins. And they talk about how they were always known as the twins, like they were a unit. They were always spoken about in the same sentence. And even just how much the tightness of their relationship, where they talk about moving to New Orleans and they were like sleeping on somebody's floor. They were just like so excited to be there. Um, And so then like the loss of having her other half having vanished. I had a message from a blog reader and she said that the book perfectly ca- captured the dynamic of being a twin, which I can't comment on and you can't either. Neither of us are twins. Not for lack of wanting. I wanted to be a twin so badly, which I realize you cannot retroactively become. Uh, but as a child, that did not stop me from like really lamenting my lack of a twin. I wanted a twin too. I think everyone does. Yeah. Like watching the parent trap growing up, like all of that. Well, I grew up with – I'm the same age as the Olsen twins, and so I grew up with all their direct-to-DVD or VHS at that point movies. So My sister Meredith is the same age as you and was uh, obsessed with them. Like she had Mary-Kate and Ashley posters all over her bedroom. Like we had to watch every single one of those terrible movies. I love them. (laughs) I also I also love Sister Sister. What's that? With Tia and Tamara Mallory. Oh, yeah. I watched that, too. I liked them. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about running away as a theme. It seemed like everyone in this book was running away, which was obviously really interesting to figure out what secret everyone was hiding from and and kind of what was making them leave. 
But I mean, the biggest relationship was, well, to me, was Desiree and Stella. And first, they run away from Mallard. And then Stella runs away from Desiree. And then Desiree runs away from her husband. And then Jude runs away from Desiree and Mallard, knowing that she'll never come back. I thought that it was really interesting, Desiree's character arc, that she was the one who was like very – I think they say at one point like that she told anyone who would listen that she was going to leave this town. And she was the flighty one, and then she ended up taking root. Yeah, that she was the flighty one. She wanted to be an actress. She wanted to get out of this town. She's gone for 14 years. She comes back, and then everyone says she'll be gone within the month, and she stays for 20 years. And one thing that I thought was really beautiful and interesting about the story was that she didn't have a bad life in Mallard. So it was what she wanted to escape, but then she ends up being pretty happy there, um, working at her job at the diner, being with Early. Like she's, if it's a, she recognizes that it's a small life in terms of, at one point she goes to visit Jude and she says she's never been on an airplane. Um, You know, there's like a sameness to it, but it doesn't feel like she's unhappy in her life that she was trying, like that as a child was like her worst nightmare. Yeah, is I thought that was really interesting too. And then Stella, who was the one who was more practical and did this out of character thing and left her life and and ran away with this husband, seemed very unhappy with the outcome of her life having run away. Yeah. And then back to running away, we've got Reese. I loved Reese as a character, but he runs away from his town and his whole identity and gender. And then Kennedy, who runs away basically from everything. There was a really interesting comparison between Stella and Reese, where Jude had grown up hearing about Stella and how she was gone. And she meets Reese and she automatically has some empathy and she gets running away. Like, yeah. she's not judgmental, and she's like, oh, no, I – like, this is a story I understand. I thought there was an interesting intersection between the characters' lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so I think we should talk a little bit about the element of colorism because I I kind of knew what colorism was before but didn't know a lot about it. And I think this book is such an excellent example of that. So we pulled some resources. I listened to some interviews with Britt and also just like looked up colorism. So if you guys aren't familiar, colorism, the Wikipedia definition is that colorism is discrimination based on skin color, but within the same race. So it's when members of the same race are treated differently based on the social implications that come with the cultural meanings that are attached to the skin color. So it's like a lighter skinned black person being treated differently than a dark-skinned black person. And I thought Jude's arc especially was like so relevant here because she moves to this town where she's so much darker than everyone else and she's just, you know, treated terribly. Um, I thought that was like kind of fascinating. Well, the whole story of Mallard, right in the beginning, we get the history of the town and the reason that it was founded was because this freed slave was – lighter skinned and didn't want to associate with darker skinned black people. And that was like truly ingrained in the culture of the town from its founding. And so I think in the, I think maybe like right at the beginning, it was like when Desiree is coming back, I wish I wrote it down, but somebody was like, 
nobody marries dark and mallard yeah like the whole town was founded on this like i don't know if colorist supremacy is a thing but just on trying to marry and intermarry and have their children become lighter and lighter and lighter to the point where it's talked about in a couple different points that there's like blondes and redheads even though they still identify as black people that in this town over the generations like their skin has gotten lighter and lighter and lighter to the point where Stella seems to be fully passing as white and most of the hesitation is in her head more than like outwardly people being like I don't think she's white I don't know there was just something super fucked up in the in the town as a whole and like just the attitudes that had been passed down based on the founding and it it felt like it was the same families who had lived there yeah forever I think to me what was wild was just how it affects all of their choices like from who you marry to how you raise your children um and just also between the sisters the the idea that Desiree just completely rejects it and and goes out and marries like the darkest man that she can find and then Stella embraces that in a way but takes it to a whole nother level by passing as white and completely denying her identity yeah and it was interesting that when Stella decided to pass over that she had passed as white a few times in her childhood like it was an identity that she had tried on before deciding this like when she went to the museum and like walked right past the security guard right or there was another example she like went in a store yeah and it was interesting how much they held on to this as part of their identity. And it seemed to be nurtured into them at some point. There is also a plot line where Early, who is also dark skinned, um, had been hanging around Desiree as a child. And her mom was like, get that boy out of there um, based solely on the fact that he was darker and that she wa- like the mother wanted them to marry as light-skinned as possible to continue to become lighter and lighter. Yeah, it's so wild to me. What was wilder was um, I listened to an interview. So we really wanted, obviously, to have Britt Bennett on the podcast, but she's quite busy given that her book is now like going to become a show and everything else. But sh- there's two really good interviews with her. One is um, on the CBS This Morning podcast, and the second – which I liked even better was actually Barnes and Noble has a podcast and oh, she I didn't, didn't know interview that. there. Yeah, I didn't either. But um, they get a lot into colorism with her. But what I thought was interesting was that the whole idea for the book came from this town that her mother had told her about, um, which was like a real town. Britt couldn't um, corroborate the name of the actual town or where it was. But the idea was that this all happened and this was all real. It then just kind of took on its own fictional world once she had the idea and then that, that was kind of the birth of the book. But I couldn't believe that like this actually hap- happened and this was based on a real town. Yeah, it is interesting. I had heard of colorism in two contexts before this. So the first one was, do you remember when we read American Spy yes. um, last summer? So there's also a plot line in there about the main character, Marie, her mom, is very light-skinned, and she comes to the United States from Martinique, and she is passing as white, and she actually doesn't like it. She feels like it is like counter to her identity to be 
passing as white. And she ends about up that. moving back to Martinique where she's like, I want nothing to do with this. Yeah. So for her, passing was a negative, not a positive. Um, and so I'd, I'd heard of it in that context. And I want to say maybe that was the first time I'd encountered a plot line about colorism in a book. But then I also um, have been reading How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. And there is a chapter in there specifically on colorism as well, um, talking about both the origins going back to slavery in the United States and then also more contemporarily. I don't know that I, that's is that a word? correct. And then also colorism in a more contemporary context. Um, and he also brings up the point that even in white people, how self-tanning or, um, you know, laying out in the sun, there's also an element of colorism in that where within white people um, being perceived as having a tan is better than being pale. Interesting. I've never thought of it as better or worse. I just think I look better with a tan. Well, I mean, I think it's about why do you feel that way? There's also um, been a lot of controversy on TikTok with (laughs) – Grace is like rolling her eyes. There's also been a lot of um, controversy on TikTok. And and there's a word for it. I can't remember what it is. But with white girls wearing very dark makeup. Oh, weird. And it's like – it's something the Kardashians do too. Like it's like even though you are white, use makeup that like is much darker than your skin color to give a different look. Okay. And like I there's an seen aspect any of, that, of but I'm not into colorism in that as well. So I don't know. I felt like this book came at a very interesting time where it was something that I had heard about in a more, I don't know, like news context, and then to have it contextualized in terms of this town and these people um, was really interesting to me. Yeah, one of the things that Britt Bennett said in one of the interviews was just how shocked she was that this ended up being such a timely book because she'd been working on it for four years and then it came out and um, yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I thought was really interesting about race was Sam, who's Desiree's husband, um, says something in the book about Northern versus Southern racism, where he's like, I've experienced Northern racism, but like, I don't want none of that Southern racism. And I was kind of reflecting on like, if that is true in terms of like more overt versus implicit racism. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot as I've been reading anti-racist books, where I think if you had asked me on May 1st, if you were like, are you racist? I would have been like, I'm not racist. Um, and kind of just learning about race as a, racism as a system and kind of the same way that you wouldn't be like, patriarchy doesn't exist. Yeah, I know. I feel the same way. And I think, I think that actually when, like, when you really reflect on it, I think that the like Northern racism is what's more dangerous than Southern racism because we can look at the KKK and like the really like aggressive forms of racism and everyone's like that's bad but then like systemic racism is just much more subtle and that's what's like keeping it in place i don't know that one is better or worse than the other but no no i did not better i think but i think more dangerous i don't know it was just such a succinct way to sum that up that i thought just felt super timely um, and I mean, this is obviously coming out of the mouth of a man. This is set in the, the six, 
I guess I think late fifties, late fifties or early sixties. Yeah, would have so been way like when this was. So that was just kind of a reminder of like how little things have changed, even though we may have think we've changed so much. Yeah, I feel like. I don't know, just the past few months has, has really revealed like how little progress we've actually made. Yeah. This was an interesting book to me as well. I had never read any um, fiction about the Jim Crow South um, where this happens while we're – this happens pre-integration. Yeah. Um. So they're talking about living in a very different world where um, – they are not allowed in the same stores or they even talk about how there's a, a white part of the cemetery. Wait, did you get Nickel Boys yet? Yes, but I haven't read it. Oh, it's so good. That's like mostly set in the Jim Crow South. So, yeah, I haven't read a lot of fiction that's set in the Jim Crow South. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought that that was interesting to me as well, not having read a ton. I tend to read more contemporary or like 90s. Yeah type books in general so it's not like an overt exclusion it's just that i don't tend to like historical yeah type novels i've I've been making more of an effort to read them because i think it's important but in terms of books i pick up on my own it's usually contemporary but nickel boys is incredible like i think you'll really love it i've heard that i have it on my i have um like three tbr piles oh yeah (laughs) like i have like the the pile that like I aspire to get to but likely won't and mm-hmm. then I have like the medium term pile and then I have the pile of like these are my next like mm-hmm. seven books so it's in the short it's in the smallest TBR pile <laughs> <laughs> which bodes well for it I guess yeah yeah so let's talk about some of the other relationships in the book I want to talk about Jude and Reese yes um I thought that this relationship was so interesting and so well told um i said earlier how it felt like jude just had more empathy for reese because of her experience with stella but also just like the empathy with which this story is told and the non-issue that it is well i think that she understands what it's like to not feel comfortable in your skin and the body you were given so she like always grew up in this light skin town, like wishing she was lighter skin. And then she meets Reese who, you know, hates his body and feels betrayed by that. And I think that she was able to understand him better than a lot of people could. Absolutely. And her having an empathy for wanting to change because she couldn't change her skin color. And she talks about having used skin lightening products or Mm -hmm. her grandmother um, like making these salves and tonics and like trying to lighten herself which obviously isn't something she could change the fact that she looked at Reese and she was like oh you can make this change great like yeah like how she took on all that extra work to help him save up for his surgery I thought that that was I mean I think there was probably some projection going on there like she couldn't change herself but she could help him change well also I felt very sad reading about their relationship where they had both been pining for each other for so long and um jude perceived herself as ugly and i think reese we didn't hear from his side of the story so i can only there's a lot of self-loathing not self-loathing but there was also like perhaps he didn't feel manly enough Mm -hmm. um so they existed in this platonic relationship for 
a little bit in the book where they both wanted more, but neither person knew. And then when they did finally have their romantic relationship, um, Reese was very wary of physical intimacy in terms of like him being naked and him being on the receiving end of physical intimacy because of his body. So there was also an element of Jude saving money for his surgery because she thought that it would also help like move their relationship along and like help remove a blocker in their relationship with regards to physical intimacy once Reese had the surgery, which it did. There's like a glimpse. And this kind of goes to the point where I was saying that in the second half of the book, the timeline just gets really faster. So it does. We do see Reese after his surgery and Jude remarks that like he never has a shirt on. He like is in Minnesota where she's going to med school. It's like freezing. He's going to catch pneumonia um, because he never wears a shirt. Yeah. Because he feels so much more comfortable in his body after the surgery. I know. I loved that part. Yeah. It was nice to see him feel like he was finally himself. Yes. Another interesting relationship was Stella and Loretta. So Stella and then Loretta is the black neighbor who moves into her very ritzy um, subdevelopment in LA. Yeah. And it was, I thought it was fascinating how Stella became racist. I mean, I think mostly that she, out of fear. I was going to say, I think she became racist, but I think it was out of her personal fear of being caught. She felt like black would recognize black and they would know her secret. Right. It didn't seem as though she had. Necessarily, like she was feeling like there was a superiority in being white, but there was advantage in being white in terms of first being able to get this job and then, you know, living in this nice, I, I think they were in Brentwood, like this nice sub development. And so, and knowing her husband wouldn't accept her. Right. And so it was, it felt like it was, she was racist, but it was more out of fear than anything else. Mm hmm. I, I don't know that part. It simultaneously like fascinated me and broke my heart a little bit. Like the way that she want she just like did not want this black family to live across the street from them. Well, I mean, I think in the book it seemed as though she recognized where that was coming from, that it was out of fear more than anything else. But what made me really sad was that they end up becoming friends. And um, then word kind of like spreads through the community that she's hanging out with Loretta through Mm -hmm. like the school moms and everything like that. And then she like spurns her in order to like still fit in and not raise any questions. Yeah. So like that almost made me sadder from like knowing the inner monologue behind why she was objecting to them moving in in the first place. Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. And what about Jude and Kennedy? So, I mean, I think it – I thought one thing about the two girls was that, in a way, Jude became a lot like Stella, and Kennedy became a lot like like Desiree. Kennedy was kind of the flightier one, whereas Jude was the studious, like, she was the more um, conscientious one of the two. I guess kind of. I guess in some way, like, the daughters represented the other sister when they were young. Yeah. But I felt like they both had such transformations, meaning Desiree and Stella had such transformations in their adult life that I don't know that that necessarily held true with like the current version of them. No, I think I meant more of, of when they were younger. Like they kind of, but the, they reminded me of the girls when they were younger. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool and interesting. Yeah. I thought it was 
I thought the element that Jude knew about Stella, but Kennedy did not know about Desiree was really interesting. Yeah. And Jude feeling this compulsion to get close to her and find out about Stella. And it seemed like part of it was her own curiosity, but also it was like taking care of her mother mm-hmm. um, and like her struggle with once she found out where Stella was, did she tell Desiree or did she keep it from her? And she decides to keep it from her. And Desiree doesn't know what happened to Stella until Stella shows up in Mallard mm-hmm. um, because she thought that she was protecting her. Jude thought that she was protecting her mother by not telling her. But I thought that it was really interesting how Jude was like picking at a scab of like she got this job at um, the theater. She like was. Oh, I was getting so nervous for her. I know. She, it wasn't like she was stalking, but she was like very much like insinuating herself into Kennedy's life to mm-hmm. find out more. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would do the same thing if I was Jude. I would want. I mean, imagine knowing totally. that you have this cousin out there. Totally. I'd want to know everything about them. Yeah. And I almost felt like, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. But then when Kennedy finds out, like, she confronts her mother at first and is like, this girl I know told me this story. And then she just like, it kind of, I guess it stays with her in the back of her mind. But she doesn't react enough. I don't know. Like, I feel like that would just be such a groundbreaking thing. Like it was like she doesn't take it seriously until she sees the photo almost. Yeah, I know. Also about the girls that I thought was interesting is in one of the interviews, I can't remember which one, Britt talked about how the t- girls, like even though they're just cousins and they're so estranged, they do have that very sibling-like dynamic in that, um, you know, they're annoyed with each other. There's that tension and the way that Jude just keeps kind of like, poking the bear to, like and just keeps at it she's so tenacious and I thought that that was really really spot on it was also so interesting how earlier Jude was pursuing Kennedy and then later Kennedy was pursuing Jude where when they run into each other in New York City um Jude is there because Reese is getting his surgery she's not seeking out Kennedy I think they like see her in a bakery or something like she's just sitting there and then Kennedy almost like it's a role reversal becomes the one who is like pursuing Jude. She goes to find her at the hospital. Yeah. She like won't leave her alone where it's almost like there was like a disbelief and then she saw the photo and then it's like the dynamic totally flip flopped. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Do you think that the sisters, I mean that the cousins stay in touch? I think so. I think I wouldn't until the last like 20 pages of the book, I would have said, no, I didn't think so. Yeah. But then when Adele dies, um, Jude calls Kennedy and like they have it seems like they have somewhat of a relationship outside of their mothers where they talk and it seemed like they were in each other's lives. And I think that even with all the mystery and like intrigue gone of like where Stella and like wanting to find out about her, like I think, yeah, I think they do have a relationship. Yeah. Maybe like only a Christmas and birthday card type relationship. <laughs> I don't know that they they go on to become great friends and soulmates. But yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so too. And Britt Bennett said that she thought they keep in touch when in her interview. I would love to see a second book. I know I would have I would have loved to have understood like what is what happens to the next generation. There was a little bit of 
more implication in Kennedy's timeline where she talks a few times about Kennedy becoming a real estate agent in some future that we don't get to see and in how she's like really holding on to she was a soap actress at one point. Mm -hmm. So there's like there was like implication. I was like, oh, I wonder if the timeline's going to flip again and we're going to get to see like even later into the future. Yeah. Uh, But there wasn't the same indication with Jude. So it was like I didn't really we didn't get like a a sneak preview of what happened to her. Yeah. I mean, a, a we assume she was in medical school, so we assume she becomes a doctor, and I don't know what happens from there. How did you feel about the ending? I hated it. Hated it. I was really upset by it, but I liked it. So I I did – I was really waiting for the full circle moment where Desiree and Stella reunited. We don't get that. We do. Well, Stella goes back to Mallard yes. and – she goes to the diner and she sees Desiree and they But she aban- then she abandons her all over again sneaking out. Yes. So I almost wish the book ended there. Oh. Not with the mother the grandmother's death. I don't know. It was like I didn't feel like I had very much closure, I guess. I wanted that reunion. It didn't necessarily need to be a happy reunion between them, but like for them to find each other and for Desiree to find out that Stella what happened in Stella's life mm-hmm. and for them to like try to figure out their relationship and identity to one another as adults after the betrayal of Stella leaving. So I needed that resolution. But then when it went past that, I don't know. I didn't like those pages as much when it then became about like Adele, her health declining and her dying and then her funeral I don't know. I wish it had been left at the reunion, kind of. Oh, interesting. I think that it was really powerful that it left it where it did because it kind of sets up the future. Like, Stella did not come back for her mother's funeral. And you realize that Stella's never going to tell her husband her identity. And, um, like, that whole scene with Kennedy where, like, she kind of acknowledges it and is like, your dad can't know. Yeah. But I don't even know that Stella knew because Jude called Kennedy, but – I can't remember. I don't think that Kennedy told Stella. I think Stella knew. Okay. Yeah. I, I can't remember now, but I'm pretty sure she did. Okay. And I, I just felt like Stella and Kennedy just like did not show up for their family. I don't think I expected them to. I guess I hoped they would. Yeah. I didn't feel like – I guess I didn't feel like this was going to be a happy ending book. Nothing in their characters was set up that I thought that they would like do the right thing and like come be part of the family. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I didn't think that their character showed that either, but right. I kind of still like was like optimistic. Yeah. I mean, I always feel that way in books where I'm like, happily ever after. Yeah. And they're <laughs> I read like, so no. much romance and I'm like, oh, like. Yeah. The last minute. Yeah. So no, I didn't love the ending. But again, we've talked about this in other books. I feel like with more literary fiction, it's less about the ending than the journey mm-hmm. where there have been quite a few books like Fleischman is in Trouble is like a book that I really enjoy. I knew I know you hated it, but worst book of 2019. <laughs> I really enjoyed the book, did not enjoy the ending, but that didn't ruin it for me. OK, so in, same with this one where that's not why I'm saying that I liked it less than you. Like it wasn't really about the ending for me. The ending broke my heart, but it's one of the reasons I like the book, if that makes any sense. Yeah. 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 You haven't heard that Stella's husband was awful. I disagree with you. Oh, my God. I hated him. I thought he was so patronizing and racist and bad. I I disagree 
someone. You liked him? No, I didn't like him. I felt neutral about him. And but I also think that like and how he got so mad at her like going back to school and like all the steps she was taking to do better. I don't think he was mean or angry. I think he was more dismissive. Like it was more of a cold than a actively mean or belittling. But um the thing about it is, is like, okay, if Stella is going to lie about her entire past and then adopt this new life and decide to pass for white, like, kind of by nature, her husband would need to be, like, kind of disinterested and, like, not ask too many questions for that to hold up. So That's it was totally kind of like right. by making this decision to lead a new life like that was what she was signing up for for like not having a husband who saw her for who she was or like understood her I don't know like it was settling for like a more anonymous less deep marriage you're right I just didn't like him sure no I mean I didn't love him either it didn't seem like either of their first husbands so she never marries early but like she's desiree stays with i loved him. early i loved early too but it doesn't seem like either of their first husbands are great but it seems like blake was like i don't know that tracks yeah he was like a preppy white guy that was kind of disinterested in his in the, de- the details he just wanted like a hot wife and like a family yeah so before we end our book discussion i wanted to talk really quickly about kind of a comparison to our June book, which was Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo. And the reason is that they're both sister books and they're both about estranged sisters. And I remember when we were picking our book for July, I said to you, I was like, Grace, do you feel like it's too similar to Clap When You Land? And you were like, absolutely not. And I was like, I really don't see how that can be. Like, they're both books about like racial identity and like two sisters and like being separated. I was like, it feels kind of the same. And then I read it and I was like, wow, these books are nothing alike. They're so different. I think it's interesting because this, this one is about two sisters that started out so close and grew apart. Whereas in Clap When You Land, they started out apart. And I like to think that if there was a second book to Clap When You Land, the sisters would be really close. I agree. Yeah. It was more about a coming together than a coming apart. Yeah. And even though they're both deal with the death of a parent like it felt like one of them like the impact was so different like it was the final nail in the coffin in this book where it was like oh they're not going to be close Mm -hmm. and in that book it was like the death even though there were so many secrets that were being held by this father brought them closer together despite his secrets yes I thought it was so interesting because I really was feeling nervous (laughs) <laughs> the books were going to be too similar not having read this one. And then when I read it, I was like, oh, wow, not not the case at all. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about was this book got acquired by HBO in June. And apparently it got acquired in a seven-figure deal and was in a 17-way bidding war. I cannot wait for this adaptation. Are you excited? I'm super excited. I don't know if this is my kind of TV. Oh, I can't wait. This is I am I am all over this. Can I make a a confession? You want what? Well, it's not a romance. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's um I I didn't finish Little Fires Everywhere. What? 
I know. Oh, I, Becca, you have to. That that the last episode is so powerful. Just like the visuals, uh, and it was it. I I liked the book. I just I don't. I liked, necessarily like non contemporary settings for TV. So I'm wondering how I will. I'm nervous about this. I hope I'll like it. I'll try uh, it. I'll watch it. I can't wait for this. I loved Little Fires Everywhere. I liked it even more than the book. I'm I'm very excited for this to be a show. Although with quarantine, who knows when they'll get around to filming it. Seriously. Yeah, it's going to be in 10 years. Seriously. But I am very excited. I can't wait. I also um, saw that The Boys Club, which I read last week and you read a couple weeks ago, also got acquired by, by oh. Netflix, I think. That's going to be a great show. That's going to scratch the itch where Suits left off because once Meghan Markle left Suits, I kind of lost interest in it. But I loved that show so much. I truly feel like we're in a heyday of like book to TV adaptations. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, between Reese Witherspoon and I feel like Netflix is doing a lot too. Yeah, and they're good. Like, I feel really like good. I associate book to TV adaptations. Where it's like the book is always better, but I feel like more recently, normal people. Yes, that show a good, was that's so a good much point. better. But there's also, I feel like more and more, it's it's not the exception for the for the TV show to be like as good or like yeah. really good. So I'm excited. It's not like I I don't know. Like I feel like up until the last couple of years, if a book was being turned into a movie, I was like, oh no, they're gonna ruin it. Yeah, not anymore. Not anymore. Now I get really jazzed. Me too. Yeah, jazzed. Me too. Um, I'm truly excited to hear everyone else's thoughts on this book. I know that there was so much excitement when we picked it, and it felt like a lot of people had read it and wanted to discuss. So we'll obviously put up a post in the Facebook group, and we would love to hear your thoughts on the book and to hear your take. Yeah. Should we get into some end matter? Yes, let's do it. Okay. What are you obsessed with right now? I wish that this podcast had a visual element so you could see Grace's face right now. She is very good for you, not for me. She is very unhappy about it. I'm not my unhappy. Obsession. I just think it's dumb. <laughs> so, um, my obsession this week is I got the Beyond Yoga bike shorts. So, are these different from the leopard ones you have? Yes. So, you have a whole bike shorts wardrobe. I have three pairs. I'm thinking about buying another pair of the Beyond Yoga ones. So, I've talked about in other episodes. I decided that I wanted to get into bike shorts. I've been walking so much. It's too hot for yoga pants. Bike shorts seem like the obvious answer. I've been having trouble finding cheap ones because apparently I'm not the only one that feels this way and there is like a rush on bike shorts. So Beyond Yoga are supposedly supposed to be like the best, most comfortable ones. And I was like, I don't want to spend, I think they're like $70. I was like, I don't want to spend $70 on bike shorts. I want to buy bike shorts from Old Navy that are like $20 or from like Airy or something. But I was having trouble finding black bike shorts because they're sold out everywhere. So I was on the phone with our friend Jackie and past podcast guest a couple of weekends ago. And we were talking about bike shorts and she was like, you got to get the Beyond Yoga ones. And I was like, okay, fine. I just found out that I was getting a tax refund. And I was like, let me just buy them and put myself out of my misery. Hopefully I hate them and I can return them and then I won't have to like How much money wonder. are they? They're like $70. They're lo- I mean, their leg- leggings are like 90 so that makes sense. Yeah. I love their leggings. They came and unfortunately for me, I love them and I'm now thinking about buying another pair. They're by far the most comfortable. Okay. I love them. I'm very excited about my new bike shorts and t-shirt, big t-shirt look, despite what you say. Great. I highly recommend the Beyond Yoga bike shorts. Great. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think it's such a bad outfit. Don't care. Yeah. I also feel like quarantine has done some real weird things to my standards of what I'm what willing to leave the is. house in. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like my cutoffs and t-shirts and my house dresses. If it's really hot, I'll wear like a I don't want to go for a five-mile walk in jean shorts. Like that sounds like thigh chafe city. I wear running shorts. I also don't – my thighs don't chafe. Like they touch. They just don't – I know I've never gotten – Thigh chafe. Good for you. Um, so I just don't – I can't relate, but also would w- rather wear like running shorts than bike shorts. I'm loving them. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Thank you. What is your obsession? I have a few. So my first one is Olaplex just re- released something called Number Zero, and it's like a liquidy treatment, and it's a pre-treatment for the number three that you and I both love. Interesting. So what you do with this is – and by the time this – podcast episode drops, go to my blog. There's going to be a full review and an affiliate link. So shop my links. But um, there's it's a liquidy treatment. So you coat your whole, all of your hair with it. So usually with Olaplex, you would wet your hair and then put in the treatment and then wash your hair as usual. This, you um, put this liquid all over your hair for 10 minutes. Then you put the Olaplex, the, the, the mask that you and I both love, in. And then you take a shower and wash your hair as usual. What does it do? It makes it work better. Okay. And it does. And I'm not sure exactly what it why. I, I haven't written the blog post. I've only tested the product. And I'm like, oh, wow, I like this. Hmm. But I don't know the science behind it. So by the time I have a blog post up, it'll have the science. I will be very interested to read that because I am a diehard for the Olaplex mask. So if you're yeah. telling me that this makes it even better, like I am very interested. Yeah, it's really good. What so else you got? I got that. One thing I've been doing, I've always had like kind of rough, bumpy skin on the backs of my arms. It's um, like chicken skin or keratosis pilaris. And the Mega Babe Latouche butt mask works wonders on your arms. Oh. So... I've been using the butt mask all over my body for a while now, um, but I was just reminded of this because I did a giveaway for Katie and um, just remembered how much more I like it. So I like to put it on my arms, basically all the way from like my boobs down to my thighs and leave it on for three or four minutes and then hop in the shower and you are a new smooth baby human. Like it's wonderful. So I remember like being like, do I really need a butt mask? And like the answer to that is probably not, but a body mask? Yes. That is very interesting. I have not tried the butt mask because I cannot conceive of the process by which I would apply and then not sit on it while it set in so that, that I'm just like laying on my front somewhere with my so bare butt in the air. What I do is kind of the same thing as when I self-tan is I put it on all over and then I do a project naked. So I'll do like my dishes uh-huh. or I'll do something that takes me like five minutes and then okay. I'll get in the shower. I still am not sold on a butt mask per se, but I am interested in a back of my arm mask. Yeah. So it's great. Um, and then the last one is a brand that I just found via Instagram. I'd seen a lot of bloggers wearing it and I ordered a piece from them. It's called Brinker and Eliza and they have beautiful jewelry. It's a small business. They're based in Fairfield. This necklace is from them, and I just love their gold jewelry. I think it's beautiful. I got this necklace that has a um, – it's got a New York City Transit Authority pendant on it, and it's very – It's very cool and vintage looking. Yeah, it looks really vin- – it looks it looks like a vintage necklace, and all of their stuff looks vintage. I think it's really nice, and it's well-made, and it's, like, decently priced. So highly recommend. Cool. Yeah. What about on Instagram? So 
I don't necessarily know that I am I have one, but I'll tell you who I recently followed this week. So I watched I've been watching a lot of rom-coms um just as inspiration for rom-com pods and to like figure out how they work plot-wise and I'm just kind of like every night I like go watch a rom-com. And so I watched Set It Up on Netflix um the other night, the one with um Tay Diggs and Lucy oh, Liu. Yeah. yeah. Where they're the bosses and then the two assistants. I watched that a while ago. It's so good. Um, but anyway, I I started following Zoe Deutsch and Glenn Powell, who are the two leads in it. And she's also in the politician. So I was like, it was like a convergence of like, I've seen her so many places. So I started following her. And him, he's just very attractive. And so I started following both of them on Instagram. And I guess that's more of a confession than an obsession, but like I'm here to tell you. I, I like that for you. Who's yours? Um, mine is Woman Shops World, and it's Woman A N, not E N. Um, and it is um, she's like an online craft store, and cool. she has all these really great. I used to be really into jewelry making, like I that was how I started my whole like blogging career was making jewelry and doing DIY projects. And um, she sent me the necklace making kits that Alex and I did last weekend. Oh, those looked fun. They looked like um very like kid crafty, which I'm into. Yeah. Um, they are, but they're like nicer than that. Like they're like heavy duty, like beautiful enamel beads, kind of like the Roxanne Asseline beads. Yeah. But I feel like with my aesthetic of like bike shorts, big shirt, kid jewelry, like I feel like that matches my, my aesthetic right now. I can, I can see that. Um, but she has a lot of really great like kits and like also craft project inspiration on her feed. That's so fun. I feel like I know so many people who started making bead bracelets during quarantine and they all promised me that they were going to send me one, <clears throat> Jackie, and I have not received one. Um, so maybe I'm going to make my own. Yeah. Highly recommend. What about on the reading front? So I finished The Comeback by Ella Berman, which you had recommended. Um, I loved it. I Okay, should we tell people? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> this is going to be our August book. Yeah, so we are so excited to discuss it as our August book. Yes. It is about a actress who um got discovered as a teenager and was in like a famous movie trilogy and was sexually assaulted by and emotionally director, assaulted. And emotionally abused by the director who made her famous. And um she kind of slid into a drinking and drug problem and um, her whole life was kind of in shambles. She took a year out of the spotlight and then is coming back to Hollywood both to take her revenge and also make her comeback as an actress. And I thought the book was so interesting. I have so much to say about it. I can't wait. Slight content warning um, for anyone who is sensitive to topics of emotional or sexual abuse. Fair warning. Um, but I think this book is so timely and interesting. Yes. And soapy. It's very soapy. It's very it's very fun, but it's also got some serious stuff in there too. It also felt like one of your thrillers, kind of, didn't it? Not really. You oh, okay. you called it a thriller, and I was like, it's suspenseful, but not a thriller. I felt like I was on the edge of my seat. I did enjoy it. Okay, I don't read as many thrillers. Um. Okay, so I read that. Then I finished Trevor Noah's audiobook, Born a Crime. Loved it. Loved it so much. Um. This was really powerful and talked about a lot of heavy things, but the way that Trevor Noah discusses things in his voice, and he is also so charming and witty and clever and funny, it's 
enjoyable, but also talks about a lot of heavier things. I loved it. Um, I started reading When They Call You a Terrorist by Patrice Cullors. Um, I'm probably 30 or 40% through and I'm, I wouldn't say I'm enjoying it because it's very heavy and, um, you know, pretty sad to read and tackle some really serious things from race and like her childhood growing up in a poor town. Um, and just the way that the police like treated her and her brothers as children is really upsetting. Again, I'm only like 30 or 40% through. And then I took a break from that yesterday because I was just like in a mood and it was raining and I needed to just read something dumb and it's not dumb, but I read The Wife Stalker by Liv Constantine and Liv Constantine is is two sisters that write together and they wrote The Last Mrs. Parrish, which is one of my favorite like light chiclet thrillers. And so it was really fun to read this and it had a really great twist. Ooh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. How about you? So the first thing I read was Self-Care by Lee Stein. This book was a no for me. It had all the makings of something that I thought I would love. This was a contender for August. You were really excited about it. I cannot remember where I saw it. I saw somebody on Instagram who I trust talking about how much they loved it. And I was like, gotta get this. It felt under the radar. I was like, oh, yeah, like I'm into this. It is about two female founders of a self-care social network startup. I love anything that has to do with startup culture because I feel like a lot of books tackle it, but very few like get it right. Get it right. Yeah. So I'm still like searching for that one that does. Um, and I just think self-care is a topic like the commercialization of self-care is like a really interesting thing. And I, I thought this was going to be like a fitness junkie by Joe Piazza was what I was. Uh, that was a good w- what book. I was hoping for. Um, I did not like this book. It was actually a very good portrayal of startup life like it was really well done everyone in this book was so hateable and every this whole book was just like too much for me i read it in a night and i don't know i don't know how much of this was tied up in my mood during quarantine versus the book in a vacuum in and of itself but i did not like it Oh, that's such a bummer because based on what, everything you had told me, I was like, oh, I, I, I got to read that. I can give it to you if you want it. No, I don't want to. Have you seen my book pile? I know. Yeah. I know. It, so that was a no for me. So you were very angry at me because – We were in a fight. Not a real fight. We were not in a real fight. But we were – we both had our, our pet contenders for, for – For book club. For book club. And one of us – I read the comeback first. Grace read the boys club first. And we were fighting about which one it should be even though neither of us had read the other book. Yeah. So then we swapped and we read – the other book. Yeah. And um, I read The Boys Club last weekend, which I cannot recommend highly enough. It is the best. Holy shit. It is so, it's so good. Good. So it's good. so, so good. So it's about a woman who starts at as a first year associate at a very prestigious law firm. And um, she kind of gets sucked into their M&A practice group, which is like the most competitive and it's a total boys club. And she starts like hanging out with all these lawyers who are drinking a ton and like making suspect decisions. And she's like one of them. Like it's a it, mm-hmm. your comparison to the Devil Wears Prada was like perfect. Like she becomes. Yes. 
One of them. It's like Devil Wears Prada meets Suits with like a little bit of what's that Corolla Levering book? Oh, Tell Me Lies. And also in. like a little bit of Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. Oh my God. It's so fun. It's so good. It's I, so good. I read it in two days. I was upset anytime I had to do anything other than read the book. It was so unput downable. Like I needed to know what would happen. Like frankly, it was such a close contender for our book club. The only thing was that like basically my thoughts on it could be like summed up as like patriarchy, man. Yeah, I think that we'll have a better discussion around the comeback. Right. But, but like you I should think read I, this book. I think I liked like from just a objective like enjoyment perspective, I probably enjoyed the boys club even more than the comeback. It was it was plottier. Like it yeah. like there a lot was happening. Like there was like I it loved it. Nice. it was and I just so want everyone to read this book. Good. Also, the author seems like a really nice person. And she's a lawyer. Yeah. Which is interesting. So I don't know how much of this is based on her experience. Her name, Erica Katz, is just a pseudonym. And she is still a lawyer somewhere under her real name. Yeah. So I I truly can't recommend it highly enough. Like it was just such an engrossing, like yes. swallow you whole read. Yes. I loved it so much. So plenty of books to recommend. Again, our August book club book is going to be The Comeback by Ella Berman. So Mm -hmm. please pick it up. We will be discussing it the last Wednesday in August. Um, In the meantime, please come talk to us about this month's book in the Facebook group. Just search Bad on Paper on Facebook. You can also uh, find us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood, and I blog every single day at thestripe.com. See you next week. Bye. Bye. 